0: Lord we do want to be where you are would you come meet us tonight Lord would you give me the words to say to adequately explain the message you gave us in John 10 Lord John 10 this first half of John 10 Lord that talks about you as the leader we all need that you're so unlike other leaders that you are a good shepherd When we've had so many false shepherds, we've had so many hired hands, we've had so many thieves and robbers who have claimed our lives as theirs to lead. Lord, we know we need you, the good shepherd, to lead us. Would you do that tonight? Lead me, lead my words, lead this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, like I said, tonight we're going to go through the first half of John 10, John 10, 1 to 21, or the verses we'll be hitting tonight. This is a really well-known passage, obviously, Jesus the Good Shepherd. We've heard a lot of it. There's a, especially a few verses that get talked about a lot that are mentioned. Probably a lot of those uh, times they're used, people don't even realize it's coming from John 10, this Good Shepherd passage. Things like the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We use that a lot. It's out of John 10. Um, But we're going to look at it in context of the story we've been reading as we've walked through the Gospel of John. So as I said, shepherding is kind of the main metaphor of John 10, is this idea of shepherds. But we can't lose sight of the fact that this is coming on the heels of John 9, which was the story of of the man born blind, and his healing. And uh, we kind of get distracted, I know, when we read the Bible, with all the little headings and all the little pieces that are added, that are not part of the scriptures, right, that we have added years and centuries later um, to kind of explain sections. But those were not there in the original uh, scriptures, right? They were not there in the original Bible. And sometimes I've found they mess up the flow of thought. We kind of stop, take a breath, Think about the title, and and we don't recognize that things are flowing from one to the other. And one thing to notice about John 10 is it just starts with Jesus' words. There's no setting. There's no explaining what's going on. It's just Jesus talking, which means he's still talking from John 9. Okay, John 9 ends, if you remember, with the Pharisees saying to Jesus, Well, we are not blind too, are we, Jesus? And he says, what's he say? He says, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But because you claim to see, your sin remains. It is in that context that Jesus starts talking about the Good Shepherd. There's no change of scene. He is still addressing these Pharisees from John 9. So, That being the case, we have to ask ourselves, what is the metaphor about? Why shepherding? Why is that coming up? I'm going to give you a background. This is an Old Testament background. And I'm going to give you um, two passages to look at in the background. I'll do that in one second. But I want to uh, explain just kind of contextually in the scripture that shepherding is really important to Israel. right? Shepherding is really important to Israel. And if you look at their heroes, the people that most show up, Heroically in in Judaism, they were all shepherds. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were shepherds, right? Moses was a shepherd. When Moses leaves, he's a prince of Egypt, right? We know that that story. When he leaves and goes into the wilderness, what's he do? He shepherds. Moses is a shepherd, and of course, the one that stands probably head and shoulders as the, the known shepherd is David, right? David is a shepherd. And in fact, uh, the Lord continues to speak of him as a shepherd, even when he's king. He still refers to him as the shepherd of Israel. So when we think the language of shepherding, and when Jesus is talking here in John 10, what is he talking about? We have to keep those key things in mind. And the passages that best explain it in the Old Testament, I'll give you two, both from major prophets. One is from Jeremiah, it's Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 23, and the second is Ezekiel 34. It's kind of easy, right? Jeremiah, Ezekiel follows Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2, 3, Ezekiel 3, 4, follow on each other, okay? Those two passages are important passages About the concept of shepherding. I'm going to read you Jeremiah 23 just because it's a little shorter. But Ezekiel 34, the whole chapter is about shepherds. Shepherds. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 to 4. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. It's Jeremiah 23. What are we talking about when we talk about shepherds? We're talking about leaders. We're talking about leaders. Shepherd is the term the Old Testament uses for leaders of the people. So it makes sense that in the context of John 9, where this man has just been cast out of the synagogue, that Jesus is going to talk about the leadership that would treat someone like that. That's where Jesus goes. And he's going to make a distinction between himself and those other types of leaders. What he has specifically in this instance how he has treated the blind man versus how the Pharisees treated the blind man as the leaders of that day. But of course what, John, what Jesus is saying in John 10 has even broader implications than just this one specific instance, doesn't it? And we'll talk about that too. But first let's just look at what we're reading here and what Jesus is saying here. We'll read it in, in verse 1 of, of John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own he goes ahead of them and the sheep excuse me when he puts them all forth all his own he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers Jesus leaves this metaphor and he just leaves it hanging about the door about the shepherd about the doorkeeper And it says in verse 6 that they're confused, right? This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were were, which he had been saying to them. They didn't understand what he was saying. Jesus is talking about the nature of shepherding, right? And the idea is they're in the fold. They're being protected by probably someone from uh, the village who's watching over them. They don't own the sheep. They're watching the sheep. And when the shepherd comes to take them out to pasture, the doorkeeper knows who the shepherd is, lets them in to take their sheep out right? and lead them out to pasture. If you don't come in through that door, you're a thief. You're a thief and a robber. You're there not because you know the sheep. You're there not because you care for the sheep. You are there to take advantage of them. You're there to take them for your own purposes. You're there, maybe you you take one and you slaughter it, right? Maybe you need some food, so you slaughter the sheep. Or maybe you can sell some wool, right? You shave it and you sell it for your own money. But you're not there as a shepherd. If you come in some other way, if you have to climb over the wall, you're not a shepherd, you're a thief. So they don't understand what he's talking about. So Jesus goes further to explain it to them. Verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What's Jesus saying here? Well, he's explaining that that path through which leaders come, through which shepherds come, is him. So when Jesus says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, he's not talking about Moses or David, or these other people that have led in line with God because they came through the door. They didn't know Jesus was the door, but they came in through Jesus to lead the people. But all those who did not come in through the door, other leaders who tried to lead the people away from God, were thieves and robbers. They were not shepherds. Jesus is telling us they were not leaders who loved the sheep. One of, one of my pet peeves in this passage is how often, I mean, I've heard this verse probably quoted thousands of times in my life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We, I, I don't think I've ever not heard it said uh, without someone meaning it about Satan. It's always meant about Satan. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And inevitably you're talking about some spiritual attack or something like that. That is not what this passage is saying. The thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy is bad leaders. It's bad leaders. Bad religious leaders. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. They are the thieves. The thieves and robbers who came before him. To steal and kill and destroy. He's saying they're only looking out for themselves. They care nothing for the sheep. They're looking out for their own interests. And they will steal, kill and destroy to do what is best for them. They don't deserve the title shepherd. Because they aren't. They're thieves. That's what that verse is saying. Bad leaders come only to steal and kill and destroy. They're not there for the sheep. Going back to verses one through five, we hear this this idea of of the shepherd. And Jesus doesn't say yet; we haven't heard him yet say he is the shepherd. He's just said he's the door. But we know going back, right? He's talking about them coming in through some other way, right? The thieves and robbers. But who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, and he makes this point that. That those who are aware, those who are listening, the doorkeepers, they know the shepherd. And so he hasn't said he's the shepherd yet, but but his point is, is pretty clear, which is that those who know the Lord should have been listening and watching for him. Those who are the sheep know his voice, it says. And those thieves and robbers, they wouldn't follow them. Why? Because they were strangers. That's what Jesus is saying. The thieves and robbers were all strangers to the sheep. The sheep of God. The people of God. And so they didn't listen to them. They didn't follow after them. And I've got to say, I think about tonight... How right was Jesus about the human heart of bad leaders? I think about the leaders who've come throughout history, who've promised some grand revolution for humanity, who've promised some utopia. And it always ends with millions dead. It always ends with blood on their hands. Because bad leaders come only to steal and kill and destroy. Human leaders in their humanness do nothing but break people down. They do not build people up. It's only by the door that the sheep can find salvation. That door is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says in verse 14... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, how do you know he's a good shepherd? He lays down his life for the sheep. Now he introduces another category. It's the hired hand. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He does this because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Jesus talks about hired hands. And of course in shepherding it makes sense, right? We can understand that image, right? If, if you're getting paid to watch the sheep, you know, maybe you're getting paid some minor let's think minimum wage type of pay when the wolf comes when the bear comes when the lion comes and you have no stake in this except your minimum wage pay you're gonna lay down your life for the sheep you're gonna you're gonna peace right that wolf comes i'm out of here i'm out of here because i don't care about the sheep they're meaningless to me yeah i make my minimum wage off of watching them but i'm not gonna pay with my life I don't make that much. Jesus says the hired hand does not care about the sheep. And it's evident because when the situation arises, when you can lay down your life for the sheep, the hired hand leaves. The good shepherd lays down his life. That's what Jesus says. And already we know what Jesus is foreshadowing, right? About laying down his life. And we understand it on this side of the cross that Jesus is already referring to the fact that he's going to lay down his life. They probably didn't understand that. And it gets even more cryptic because Jesus is going to talk about choosing to lay down his life. We'll get there in a minute. Verse, Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That should be an absolutely overwhelming statement to us as Christians. Right? As Christians, we are part of the sheep, the flock of God, the people of God. And Jesus says, the way we know Jesus, and that Jesus knows us, is the way the Father knows Jesus, and Jesus knows the Father. That should stop us in our tracks. Jesus, it's easy for us to say that Jesus claims to know us like that. That part, not hard to believe. But Jesus is saying we know him the way the Father knows him. The way the Son knows the Father is how we know Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say that this is some absolute statement, right? I'm sure Jesus is not saying that the way that we know in terms of uh, quantitative, right? In in terms of, like, quantity of knowledge. Oh yeah, the way God knows everything, we know everything. not what he's saying. He's talking about the quality of relationship. The way the Father and the Son know each other, that commitment of intimacy... What knowing means in the scripture is intimacy, right? They use it for sexual intercourse for that very reason. The scriptures do, right? Adam knew his wife. It's intimacy to know one another. Jesus is saying the way I know the Father, intimacy, and the Father knows me, my sheep know me, and I know my sheep. I'm intimate with them. I am connected. We have knowledge of each other. That is shocking. It is both, I think, an aspiration, like, man, we should know Jesus better. <laughs> and it's a true statement, a statement of fact that we can rest assured in. Jesus has told us we know him We know him. What's the statement about the sheep knowing the voice of their master, knowing the voice of the shepherd? Why does Jesus say that? He wants to remind us we know his voice if we believe. When people are struggling understanding God, when people are struggling feeling like, I just don't hear God's voice, the advice I give them is to read John 10. My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice, even as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. John 10 should remind us, we know what our Lord sounds like. We know what his voice is like. We know its purity, and its kindness, and its gracefulness. We know his call. We have been called, if we believe, according to John. The Father himself has called us. Verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Christian, if you hear this message tonight, you're the other sheep. Jesus, whose ministry was to the Jews, when he talks about the sheep of God, the flock of God, he's referring to the people of God, but specifically the people of Israel. That's who they were. And Jesus says here, I've got more sheep that you don't know about yet. And I'm going to draw them all together to make them one flock with one shepherd, me, Jesus. Jesus. And I'm going to bring them all together. How am I going to bring them all together? Jesus is going to explain, For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down an authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And now all of a sudden, all these things that were so unclear as we read through John, right? How Jesus all of a sudden, like Jesus has almost died like four times at this point, right? They keep picking up stones to throw at him. They keep wanting to kill him. They keep saying the same blasphemous things. And every time it's like, Jesus just hid. Jesus hid away and went out of the temple. Or they eluded their grasp what is Jesus saying here he's explaining it. he says no you don't get it no one takes my life from me I have the authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again unless I allow it no one takes my life and as the Good Shepherd I'm going to lay it down I'm going to lay it down Of my own volition, my own will, my own choice, I will lay down my life willingly. And of course, that's where the metaphor of the shepherd breaks apart, right? Because what shepherd would lose their life if they had the choice not to? When the wolf comes, when when the thief and the robber come, it's like, well, I can beat them back and stop them, or I can die. let, Let me think about that choice. Well, I'll just beat them back rather than die. Jesus obliterates the metaphor because he says, no, I'm going to lay it down. That's my choice. No shepherd could hope to live up to that level of sacrifice. Jesus said, I'm laying it down. And what's he say? I lay it down. What? So that I may take it up again. That's purpose. That is purpose statement. He's saying, I'm laying down my life for the very reason that I might take it up again. What's that mean? It means resurrection life was always the plan for us. There was no other plan. Jesus is laying down his life so that he might be resurrected. The purpose of the cross was so that resurrection might happen. New creation. So that life might be poured out. That abundant life he had just talked about. Without Jesus' death and resurrection that abundant life does not flow to you and me. Jesus lays down his life so that he might be resurrected, so that he might pour out his spirit and give that life to us. Jesus says, that's the very reason I lay down my life, so that I might take it up again. And then life will flow from him. He's going to talk about this again when we get to John 12, right? When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, he says. John 12. But here Jesus makes clear. Look at the language. I love this. I love what Jesus says here when, at the beginning of the passage when he says, The shepherd calls them out by name. By name. The intimacy of that. He calls his sheep by name. He knows them. They're not just an amorphous blob flock that he... Come on, sheep. He's intimate. He cares. He knows them individually and communally. He cares for them. He leads them in and out of pasture. How stark is that image in light of what we just read in John 9? Look at the difference between Jesus, the Good Shepherd who leads his sheep in and out, who knows them by name. And the thieves and robbers and hired hands of the Pharisees who say, you were steeped in sin at your birth. And put him out of the synagogue. The good shepherd makes sense in light of John 9. Jesus loved this man. Jesus knew him by name, led him into salvation and out to pasture and good life, abundant life. And the Pharisees told him he was a wicked, evil, steeped in sin at birth type of man. And they kicked him out of the community. It's in that that Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about the Pharisees. And how do we know he's talking about John 9? Verses 19 to 21, the end of our section tonight. A division occurred again amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can they? They're still thinking about John 9. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What they had just seen and witnessed with his healing. The good shepherd, Jesus, is the leader we always needed. The one who would not steal or kill or destroy us as sheep. That's what Jesus is saying in John 10. And Jesus is saying that specifically to these Pharisees in that period as we read John 10, but his words loom so much larger than that. As we turn to thinking about our lives today, as we turn to think about what it has to tell us, one is that abundant life, that Jesus wants us to have. Are we living in that life? Are we pursuing that life, the abundance with which he provided it? Do we submit under the Good Shepherd and listen to his voice? Because listening to his voice is something we do know if we're Christians. Yes, we know what his voice sounds like, but we don't always heed it, do we? You can know what his voice sounds like and not listen to. it. We've got not just, we've got to become people who not just, excuse me, we've got to become people who don't only hear the voice, but heed the voice, right? That listen to the voice, that obey the voice. And when I think about this passage, honestly, since the beginning of this sermon series, I knew I was going to preach through the whole Gospel of John, you know, verse by verse, and I At the beginning, I was thinking about John 10. I was thinking about John 10 because it's so significant to me. Because I I consider my whole life shepherding. It's what I feel called to. It's what I've lived my life trying to do for the last 12 years, basically. Since I was 19. 30, almost 3 now. I guess 32 and a half. A good, long period of my life, I've, I've dedicated to this idea of shepherding, of pastoring, of being a, a shepherd, a pastor. Those are the same words, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. Pastor and shepherd, they're the same word. Just different languages, right? A pastor is a shepherd. That's where that word comes from. I've dedicated my life to it. And I was thinking about John 10 when I started this series because this passage not only is foundational to who I consider myself to be as a shepherd, but I've been trained for this, right? I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I've done the degrees. I've been around people who call themselves shepherds and pastors. I've been personally impacted. them. I grew up in the church. I know pastors. I've sat under them. And John 10 is so foundational to what it means to be a pastor. And, and I thought about it, and, and man, the story of my life has been impacted by so many people who are pastors or at least call themselves pastors. And I've got to say, this is one thing I think we have to address when we come to John 10, because it's so clear Jesus is talking about it. Like I said, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, and there's a lot of hired hands out there. And one thing we have to ask ourselves as Christians, how do we know hired hands? Are we following hired hands? Are we elevating hired hands to lead the church? And my answer is, we have done it a lot, yes. I've met many of them in my own experiences. Hired hands who are pastors in in office, not in reality. And you want to know the way you can discern them? Jesus says it. When the wolf comes, they flee. Because they don't care about the sheep. You can tell a shepherd from a hired hand based on how they care about the sheep. If they don't care about the sheep, they're a hired hand. I've been around hired hands. I've even sat under hired hands. I believe in my lifetime. I've been under them. They have been. They would call themselves my pastor. There's always something to learn, right? Negative mentors are actually a good thing. We we forget that. Like we only look for positive mentors. But man, there's a lot to be learned from negative mentors. Don't do things that way. If you're willing to learn, man, there's a lot to learn from a lot of different things, a lot of different ways. So I've learned a lot from negative mentors and positive mentors, yes. There are some people I could say unequivocally in my life, they are pastors. And not all of them have the title pastor, by the way. But there's definitely hired hands in there. And we've got to, the, as I speak to a, a, you know, the congregation, the, the, the average Christian, you have to discern that. You've got to stop following hired hands. We've got to stop elevating them, because they are there for a wage, right? That's what Jesus said. They're there for a wage. They're not there because they care about the sheep. Man, hired hands have done damage to the church. If you want to know why so many people in the American church have abandoned it, have abandoned it in really all of Western democracy, why so many have left the church, I think it's primarily because we've let hired hands run it. And when people realize that the shepherds don't care, they don't want anything to do with it anymore. What, what else would you expect? I mean, would you expect to get leaders other than hired hands when we live in a business model church? Of course you get a CEO. We run church like a business. So you get a CEO. You get someone who cares about getting the pay. That's hired hand. We've set up that model. We've got to tear it down. It's got to be about the sheep. About loving the sheep, caring for them. That has to be the main concern for pastors. So, for the average Christian, I would say think about these things. Think about what kind of people you're following, whether they're worth following. And for any pastors who listen, again, like I said, that doesn't mean you have to be in the office of pastor, but for pastors listening, look to the Good Shepherd. Maybe you are a hired hand. Maybe you're a thief. Jesus can change that. The good shepherd has to be your model. The good shepherd has to be the one you look to to see what a shepherd even is. We've got to do a better job for those of us who are pastors studying the life of Jesus, looking at how he shepherds, and shepherding in like manner with tenderness, knowing our flock by name. It's a random thing that means a lot to me if you know me very well. Knowing people's names. I've always said it gives people identity, makes them feel valued. And it does, it does. It's a big thing. It's an important thing for a seemingly small task. I love that Jesus says, the shepherd calls them out by name because he knows his flock. He loves his flock. we have got to look to that model. You've got to think like that. And I'll be honest, I've even seen some thieves. I've seen some thieves lead the church who are only there to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not always the case. I think it's probably rarer than, than I would even myself probably think, but there, there are people out there who are there only to abuse, whether spiritually or otherwise, abuse the flock, destroy it, steal from it, kill it. Those are the ones we have to be extra vigilant for, extra careful of. Because, of course, the damage is not just what they do in, in one instance, right? Say, one sheep that they may have hurt. No, it's generational. Generational. This generation, my generation, has almost lump sum abandoned the church on the basis of the fact that they feel they, either personally or someone they love, has been hurt by it. That's from the sins of their fathers in the church. It just is. They have not done enough to care for the flock. And the antidote, the antidote to people abandoning the church, the antidote to people wanting to be a part of it. The antidote for people finding real community and finding something they really want to be a part of is pastors caring for the sheep. That will change the tide. We've got to find pastors to do it. We've got to make pastors to do it. We've all got to commit to being shepherds to the extent that we can going out of our way to love and know and learn each other's names and care for each other. That's the Jesus model. That's the Good Shepherd. My prayer is that this next generation that feels like they'd seen so much hypocrisy, seen so much uh, fakeness, so much inauthenticity from the church before, That they would come to a real faith, a deep abiding faith, a meaningful faith that would dwell in them richly so that they would love people, that they would love God, they'd care for people. That this generation would turn to a sincere and real faith, but we've got to start that ourselves. We've got to start that ourselves, and it begins with how we care for one another. Let me pray. Let me bless you tonight as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the, the great God that we worship. But no other God compares to you. You are the true God. You are the one worthy of worship and praise. Thank you for sending a good shepherd like Jesus to model for us how to be shepherds, but also to lay down his life for us. Under him, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, as Peter says, we all sit as sheep. Lord, help us remember that we know your voice. We hear it. Help us better discern when we hear it. Help each person in here tonight. Better discern your voice and better listen to it. And follow after it. And Lord, for each of us sheep, may we draw near to you. Would you lead us into good things? Lead us out to pasture. Lead us in to safety. Lead us into the fold when we need safety in out to pasture when we need sustenance lord would you guide us each one make us who you want us to be lead us in your ways lord and would you do a mighty work in your church and i don't i say that universally lord but i specifically say that for this church because this church is the one that I'm committed to, to being a pastor, to being a shepherd, Lord. And I want that change to start here in us. Would you make each one of us care for each other deeply, pray for one another, love one another, think about one another, know each other's names. Would you help us to love and care like true shepherds? Any impulse in us that is... Like a thief or like a hired hand, would you root out of us, Lord? We love you. Bless your people today, God. In Jesus' name I pray, and by your Spirit's mighty power. Amen.